Well, good morning. I want us um, to take a moment this morning and consider Jesus' return to his hometown in Nazareth. Um, If you have your Bibles, this would be a great time to open them up. We're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. We're going to begin at verse 14. Um, You're going to need them because we've read part of what I'm preaching on, but we haven't read all of it. Um, And so if you have a Bible, open it up, and we'll also try to get parts of this on the screen um, uh, during the sermon. But anyway, we're in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And I want you to imagine that you are a resident of Nazareth during the days of Jesus. The Sabbath day is fast approaching. You're um, beginning to spiritually prepare for your weekly trip to the synagogue. And you've heard some reports coming in from the neighboring towns. There's an itinerant preacher you hear. He's making his way around Galilee. He speaks with authority and insight that has not been heard in years. And you know there's reports of miracles. Healings at Gennesaret, the driving out of demons in Capernaum, and then there's that curious incident of water and wine at a wedding in Cana. And this week, he's coming to Nazareth. So you're going to show up early to get some good seats in the synagogue. But of course, this isn't just any itinerant preacher, is it? No, this is Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus, Joseph's son. And you remember him, right, from when he was a little boy. Growing up, you remember that time he got lost in the temple in Jerusalem. There are some strange rumors about his birth, but, but you've watched him grow up, and now he's a carpenter. You have some of his chairs, right, in your dining room. Your neighbor has a table that was mended by him. Now he's making a name for himself. And he's from Nazareth, right? Some hometown pride. It's like A.J. Green, right, guys? Somerville people. And finally, that old saying will be proven wrong once and for all. You've heard it one time too many. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the answer is yes. We have Jesus. And today, he's coming home. He's preaching in the synagogue. You can't wait to hear what he has to say. And maybe he'll give you a miracle or two. I want us to think today about the familiarity of Jesus. Okay, How familiar he was to these folks in Nazareth. How familiar that he has become to us. Um, An illustration of this. Uh, First of all, thank you all for your prayers and support as we have... Um, traveled to China and returned um, with our son. And there's amazing things about adoption that I could talk for hours about, but, but, but one that's just, just interesting is, is the things that we take for granted, the things that are familiar to us are amazing to a two-year-old who's been in an orphanage. And so while we were in China, for instance, we, um, we needed something sweet Oh, we've been eating some Chinese food for a while, and so we got uh, some sweets, and we got, got a, a little bar of chocolate. It wasn't like special, really good, dark chocolate. It was just, it was just chocolate. 
maybe a Hershey's or something, and we gave it to Benjamin. And he was amazed. Yesterday, he had goldfish. <laughs> we have goldfish every day in preschool, right? But he had goldfish for the first time. It was amazing. But these things are familiar to us, right? And they're, they're sort of, oh, yeah, that's great, goldfish. I like goldfish. But imagine Jesus, okay? And imagine Nazareth. And imagine how familiar he must be to all the people in this small town in the backwoods of Judea. And I think many times we approach Jesus in the same way Nazareth was approaching Jesus, with, with a familiarity, okay? We've heard this reading before. We've read these scriptures before. We, we, we've done this service before. This is the same Jesus that we were all learning about in Sunday school, okay? This is the same Jesus that, that our parents made us come to church to, to hear about day in and day out. This is the same Jesus that for decades and decades you've been coming to worship because that's just what you do in Somerville is go to church on Sundays. And for many of us, this Jesus has become familiar. And when he becomes too familiar, we are in grave danger of missing his extraordinary grace. And so what happens in Nazareth? Well, the big day arrives, right? Jesus goes to the synagogue, as has been his custom, um, for years, okay? And it was time to read. And imagine the scene and the, 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 the waiting and anticipation that you've had. And, and he gets up, and he slowly walks over, and he finds just the right scroll, Isaiah. And he opens it up, and he slowly searches for just the right passage, Isaiah 61. And he begins to read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And all the eyes are locked on Jesus. And he rolls up the scroll and he hands it to the attendant. And he sits down, and he's ready to teach. And he begins a sermon like this. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What an amazing thing to say. What, what would you, if you were in Nazareth on that day, what would you have heard? What would you have gotten from that? Well, well two things from his, from his sermon here. It's a tremendous proclamation of God's grace. And then it's an astonishing um, proclamation and identification of Jesus as the Messiah. The grace is overwhelming in this passage. Jesus has come to, pronounce, to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, to give sight to the blind. On one level, these are very um, real and tangible things. God cares about the poor. He cares about the sick. He cares about the prisoners. And the grace of God is for all of them. But in another way, are we not all poor in spirit, sinful people? Are we not all captive to evil? 
Are we not all blind to the ways of God? And that's the setting in Isaiah's gospel. I mean, Isaiah's, um, Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, right? So in the second half of Isaiah, you have the prophet looking ahead to the return of God, to the return of the kingdom of God, to the vindication of Israel and the, the destruction of those who oppose the people of God. And Jesus is saying, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Um, but the grace is, is even deeper than that. Um, that last verse there, verse 19, it says, um, I've been sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, in the background here, you've got to understand what was happening um, in the laws of Israel. They, they had prescribed these very gracious laws to make sure that, um, that there's a, an, an evenness in the people of God. And so every seven years, for instance, debts would be canceled. Um, every seven years or so, um, if you had gone into debt and then you had to work it off as a slave because you couldn't pay it with money, every, every seven years you would be set free from your obligations. And then every 50 years, all those things would happen, but also all the land that your family originally had when they settled the land um, with Joshua after, the, um, after they, they, they came into the land of Israel, that land would go back to your family. And so if you had to sell everything you owed to pay off your credit card bill, you would get the land back. Your family would get it back. You would start over. Tremendously graceful laws. Do you know how often they'd happen by the time of Isaiah, 700 years or so? Never. It never happened. Because if you had the, right, if you had the power to implement that laws, it also, you knew it was going to cost you something. If you had the power and the land and the money to make these things happen, you were the one who was going to lose out. And so Jesus is saying, look, today these things are being fulfilled in your hearing. I am setting you free. I am restoring you into God's gracious favor and love. The beginning of the end is come in me. And God is coming to save his people. That's the proclamation of his grace. Now, the controversial part is Jesus is also claiming to be the Messiah. Um, you heard how often me is using those verses, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the, pa- to the captives. And then Jesus says, he interprets this passage for them, and he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He could have said, tomorrow or later or someday this will be fulfilled. That would have been the weekly message of the rabbi, more or less. The Messiah is coming in the future. Or he could have said, you know, today this scripture is being fulfilled down in Jerusalem. This is happening. Get ready for it. But he doesn't say that either. He says, today, not tomorrow, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, in this synagogue, in Nazareth, in Galilee, with you hearing this message, this scripture is being fulfilled. He's proclaiming salvation, and he's proclaiming his identity as the Messiah, the Savior of God's people. And in light of this, it's fascinating to see how the crowd responds. And so we'll read on. Maybe we can put this up on the screen now. 
at first, you know, they're amazed. They're excited. So the first part of verse 22. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. So at first they were like, wow, we've not heard anything like this. What grace. What authority. But then the train of thought, you can imagine the train of thought. It probably goes something like this. That was an amazing sermon. That Jesus, he's such a nice boy. Is, is he, isn't he Joseph's son? Don't we know this kid? How? How could this possibly be true? That's what they say. All spoke well of him, marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And then they said, is this not Joseph's son? And Jesus sees where this is going. He heads them off, okay? He sees the doubt creeping in. They're familiar with Jesus, and that familiarity is causing them to doubt his message and his promise. And he says to them, I see you doubting, okay? Doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown. I know you want a miracle. I know you want a healing. I know you want to see me drive out some demons. I know you all want some wine from water. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He knows. He sees this doubt creeping in, and he, he knows that that will never be enough, that signs and healings and miracles will never be enough for the hardened heart, the heart that is hardened to the familiarity of Jesus Christ. And so instead, he refers to two Old Testament stories, um, one from the days of Elijah and one from the days of Elisha, um, and healings of um, Gentiles, people who are not part of the people of God. And so a widow gets saved from starvation, right? And then Naaman, um, the leader of the Syrian army, so not only is he a Gentile, but he's a leader of an army that's coming to destroy God's people. He's a leper. They get healed. And during that days, no one in Israel, no one in the people of God received the healing that these Gentiles received. And the subtle point Jesus is making is this. He's saying, look here, Nazareth. Your faith is just like the faith of the days of the apostate Israel. The Israel that had rejected God. The Israel that was worshiping the sun or worshiping Baal. The Israel that wanted nothing to do with the God who rescued them from Egypt and gave them the promised land. They got no sign and neither will you. Because you are faithless. Now, that didn't go over real well. Um, rather than repenting in dust and ashes, they, um, they tried to kill Jesus. They drove him to the edge of town. They wanted to throw him over a cliff. It was not yet his time to die, and so he miraculously disappeared in their midst and went on proclaiming the kingdom of God. How is this passage going to hit home for us this morning? Um, I want us to consider it from two angles, and the, the first one is this. Our familiarity with Jesus can lead to entitled hearts and deaf ears. It can lead to entitled hearts and deaf ears. Um, 
One of my favorite uh, theologians, his name is J.C. Ryle, he's an 1800s guy, um, he writes this. We are always in danger of undervaluing grace when we have it in abundance. We are apt to think lightly of the privilege of an open Bible, to think lightly of the privilege of a preached gospel, to think lightly of the privilege of meeting together for public worship. We grow up in the midst of these things, and we are accustomed to having them without trouble. And the consequence is that when we hold them very cheap, and when we underrate the extent of our mercies, we underrate the extent of our mercies, it is an evil day with our souls when Christ is in the midst of us, and yet because of our familiarity with his name, he is lightly esteemed. You hear that? It is an evil day. When Jesus is in the midst of us, but because we are so familiar with him, we hold him in low esteem. When the abundant grace of Christ is too familiar, um, we tend to take it for granted. And we become entitled, okay? And all of a sudden, this saving grace of Jesus is not enough. And we want a miracle. We want a healing to believe. We, we, we need Jesus to give us success or stability or we need him to give us comfort or status. But God will not be put in our debt. God owes us nothing. In the realm of God's grace, we have no rights. We have no rights whatsoever when we stand before God. We only have his mercy. And he promises us nothing except freedom from the bondage of sin and final vindication on the last day. And so that's our danger, guys. When we hear this over and over and over again, we, he comes so familiar and we overlook his grace. Or, or perhaps we have deaf ears Okay, we've heard about Jesus our, our whole lives, and, and you're not even sure why you're here this morning other than you just felt like you should go. But you have a caricature of Jesus, and you've rejected him for something that he's not because he's become so familiar to you. And Jesus is challenging both of these this morning. Don't become entitled don't grow deaf to who Jesus really is, but consider him on his own terms for the miraculous grace he has provided us. And that leads us then to the second and final point. We need to allow the abundant grace of Christ to overwhelm his familiarity. The abundant grace of Christ must overwhelm the familiarity about Jesus that we've established. Um, consider what he said in the first part of the reading, the freedom he's proclaiming, the, the, the release from sin, the release from bondage, the release from owing um, God our lives because Jesus has given it for us. When that really sinks into our hearts, how could we possibly become entitled? When we realize that the cost of our freedom, that the cost of our redemption in Jesus is his life, 
freely given for us, okay? There's nothing you did to earn Jesus' death on the cross. There's nothing you have done to prevent him from dying for you. When we realize the extent of that, how can we expect God to owe us anything more? How can he owe us more when he's given us everything? And when that sinks in, it's impossible to become familiar with Jesus. When that sinks into your hearts, you're thankful day in and day out. Now, how do you do this? Well, I like to think we need to remind ourselves all the time. Remind ourselves by reading the Word of God. Remind ourselves by coming to Him in in prayer. And not just the prayers of I want and I need, but prayers of I'm sorry and forgive me. We remind ourselves of of God's grace and mercy when we come and, and get Eucharist day in and day, or week in and week out. And when we remind ourselves daily and weekly of who Jesus is and what he's done, our entitlement will fade away, our deaf ears will be opened, and we'll realize that today he has given us freedom, that today he has given us redemption, and that today his grace is active in our lives. Let's pray.